You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates. I missed you. Did you miss me? I know I fell off the edge of the earth a few days back, but here we are back again. It is June 9th, 2020. Man, we got some catching up to do. And why did I disappear? In case you're wondering, the news is out. We had a baby. Okay, I had a baby on Friday. That was supposed to be the last time I filmed and I missed a few days, but here we are back. Hannah was born. She is my second daughter now, six pounds, 4.4 ounces. I like to call her my drive through baby. They actually say that the second one is about half the time for delivery. Well, that is absolutely the case. It's no wonder that by the sixth baby, I'm actually a first baby of five further boys, that you become like a slip and slide. I mean, by then the baby's just coming out and be like, wee! Anyways, we are happy. Mommy and baby are healthy. It's good news for Emily. She has a little sister. It's good news for Home Depot because we're going to need to scale up my man cave. But the only one that really has the bad news is my wife, Sandra, because, of course, she's suffering with a bit of, a, as the sports call it, a lower body injury. But we are doing good. and We're healthy. And so I wanted to come back because I'll tell you one of the things that I'm missing most out of all of this is you guys. I am missing. I am seeing the news coming out every day. My eyes are not closed and I am just getting overwhelmed. The longer we wait to talk about the news happening in the Toronto market, the more there will be on the tail end of this. So I said, you know what? I have to get going. So here we are today. We're going to play recap. We're going to play catch up. We're going to start off with the big news. There's only big news today, of course, because as you guys know, we can get a half hour content each day, pretty much six days a week. But because I've missed four or five days, we've got plenty of contact content. I'm going to share with you what I've seen, what I'm reading and play a little bit of catch up. Now, if I've missed anything, those of you who track with us all the time, please, in the comments below, let us know. We are number one on Google podcast for Toronto real estate. Oh, I'm so happy to be back. Here we go. Number one, why did CMHC just make getting a mortgage harder? Did you see the news for that? Didn't just happen, but it did just happen. We're going to talk about what happened and what that's going to mean for our pricing. Then were options, what options do Airbnbs now have? So you might have heard Airbnbs are now allowed in Ontario. What does that mean? Has that changed anything in Toronto? And what are the options? And I've laid out three options. And finally, something we've been talking about for Airbnb has finally hit the news airwaves. So I'm excited to share that as well. And then what pace is Ontario on for reopening? There's been a lot of news. Even today, there's going to be further news as things reopen across Ontario. But the thing here is it's not happen, happening evenly anymore. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that could mean as the doors reopen, as our economy reopens, as the S&P 500 goes through the roof and hits a V-shape. What does this all mean for your real estate portfolio? All right, here we go. Topic number one, and what I think out of everything that's been missed the last few days is the number one topic, is this idea of insured mortgages getting tougher in Canada. This article comes from nowtoronto.com. Start us off reading, after predicting the home prices will drop 9 to 18% during the COVID-19 pandemic, the CMHC, which is the Canadian Housing and Mortgage Corporation, if you're just tuning in, is making it more difficult for new applicants 
to acquire insured mortgages. Well, what is an insured mortgages? What are insured versus non-insured? Those are your options. Well, an insured mortgage is anything with less than 20% down. That's the simple way of saying it, okay? So for anyone who's putting less money down, rules are just about to get a lot harder for you. And they're not easy right now by any means. They've been stretching this thing for a while. So here's the limits, okay? They're gonna limit both mortgage eligibility and purchasing power for a very small segment of the marketplace in Toronto. <clears throat> First time buyers. CMHC insured mortgages only apply to homes purchased for less than $1 million. I love how the article says this too. Like, what are you smoking? These aren't, there aren't a lot of those out there. <laughs> there's still a lot of homes under a million dollars, okay? Yes, there's a lot that are over a million dollars, but go in the condo space and pretty much everything is under a million. I mean, unless you're right downtown, of course. Okay, you know what? Blanket statement. Bat throw that out. There's still a lot under a million dollars, okay? There's a lot of condos that are over a million too. That I guess if, but you guys know, right? Like you can't just say that you're not gonna have a big impact in Toronto because it's over, only applies for those over a million dollars. Oh, sorry, it only applies under a million dollars. But there's a lot of those. There's still a lot of those. Among the new rules taking effect July 1st, gross slash total debt service. So these are GDS and TDS ratios. I love when I talk to a broker, like a mortgage broker, and they sometimes they'll, they'll it's, it's really funny. Okay. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation, but they're like pitch, right? They, they, when they talk to people, it's like, oh yeah, I was looking at your ratios. I was looking at your GDS and your TDS ratios. And the way that they talk about it is like, it's just like, thing that you could not allow to know about is kind of like this like mystery but all it is is literally stands for debt service ratio so it's like this idea of how much you can service this debt but when they're talking about these ratios it's like this mystery anyways they're changing the ratios it'll be restricted to 30 35 gds or 42 tds before it was 39 and 44 so came down slightly which is just saying to really summarize it is you can't take more debt relative to your income right? Like they want to be able to service the debt. The adjustment to the measures calculated by diving debts and expenses with income means borrowers will qualify for a mortgage that will be tens of thousands less. At least one borrower on the mortgage must have a credit score of 680. That's another change. This was, by the way, a 600. But practically speaking, I mean, if you're dealing with clients that have a 600 credit, I mean, most, most of the people that I talk to, I've always, I've always said like 650, 650. 60 that's kind of your entry point but they've bumped it up to 680 so they make it a little bit harder what kind of impact will it have on buyers so this article comes from the better dwelling has something to say about this so i kind of tacked in what they're saying too they said it could translate to a drop of 11 percent in buying power for someone with few to no bills other than their mortgage so in other words calculate your money like know what you're doing with your money don't just like you're not gonna just borrow if you're what they're trying to do here by the way is they're trying to prevent borrowing on borrowing on borrowing so like the next thing it even says in the other article non-traditional sources of down payment that increase debt like an unsecured loan will not be considered as equity because what people are doing is they're getting a line of credits and they're borrowing from their home and then it's kind of like see i've always talked to investors like this but the way it was calculated you could get away with it so like Let's say you have a property, it's your home, right? You own it 50%, right? Like, so I've got, a, let's say a million dollar home and I can, I have $500,000 in equity. Like I could, I could take out 200,000 from it and purchase a property and have plenty of money as a down payment. That's my in investment in the new property. But no, 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 it doesn't actually work like that because what you're doing is you're financing that debt. You're taking the $200,000, you're paying for it on your primary residence. And then, so in other words, the home you just purchased is 100% debt, right? Like 
all that money from the down payment to the mortgage on the property is all debt. So now they're starting to say, well, wait a minute, you can't do that because that's borrowing in order to get a down payment, which is not allowed. And I mean, if you've been doing this, it's a great way to try and cycle in a growing market and to build your portfolio. It's a great idea. It's a great tactic because you're leveraging. You're using the power of leveraging. It's great. But in a time like this, they're starting to get a little bit, little, ooh, I don't know about that. And they're pulling it all back for everybody else. Also, refinancing for multi-unit mortgage insurance is also suspended unless the funds are being used for property upkeep or reinvestment. So there you go. So you can't keep refinancing your multi-units. I'm sorry, all these guys out there in Southern Ontario that are flipping homes and making a whole bunch of bank. Lots of money out there, but unfortunately for the time being, it's been suspended. But of course, everything will start to roll out again. And I mean, there's nothing new under the sun here. We're just, it's just a cycle. We're in the cycle right now. So better dwelling, they add to this. They said this would mean people will have to find a whole down payment. Oh, isn't, woe is me. You're gonna have to come up your own down payment. No, no more, no more accessing borrowing in order to borrow. Data from Mortgage Pros Canada shows 52% of first-time homebuyers borrowed funds for a down payment. Did you guys know that? I actually thought it was higher. I actually thought it was closer to like 60%. That's what I tell people when they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to, you know, I'm gonna have to get some help from my parents," and they kind of look at you like, uh, "Like I'm a poor, I'm so poor." But like realistically, the majority, I mean, even in this number, 52%, the majority of first-time homebuyers are borrowing money to purchase. 2% of first-time homebuyers borrowed 100% of the down payment from family. I haven't seen that, but there you go. Another 5% relied on loans for at least half of their down payment, but less than the total. And the impact most likely wouldn't deter these buyers, but instead delay them. So they're saying, well, people, I mean, and that's true, right? There's a lot of optimism for young people wanting to get into the market. So you can't say that because now you, you can't borrow money. You're all of a sudden not going to be purchasing property. It just means I'm going to do it later. Data shows from 2019 or 2015 to 2019, 49% of first-time homebuyers had a down payment smaller than 20%. So that means that is going to disproportionately affect first-time homebuyers. Right, because most of them, in fact, half of them, are putting less than 20% down. Even in an environment where putting that 20% down means it's cheaper because you don't have to pay the insurance, right? Now you're in a non-insured product, you don't have to pay that CMHC insurance. That's why it's called insured product, by the way, that's the reasoning for that. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to prevent people from borrowing to borrow. It's actually a good thing, but here's, here's what I find ironic. Did CMHC, I find it's kind of, it's silly because CMHC just said our market's gonna crash and like, so, and yet they turn around and they make it more difficult to purchase a property. Like if you're trying to get the demand up and you're trying to encourage people to go buy, that's why everyone was like, what are you doing CMHC? Like, what are you being so critical of our market? And then you turn around, like they, we've seen them applying things like the stress test, which is eased a little bit, but still made it more difficult to qualify for property. So what this tells me, if we were to take a, a back seat here and just look at what CMHC is doing in the driver's seat, they are saying that they are, they don't care about prices. They care more about affordability, which is a good thing. I think that's a good thing because that they are the ones that are, they're our government and they're trying to protect housing affordability. And like, we can't just sit back and be like, oh, you got to protect the affordability. But then I also want my home prices to go up 5%. Like they don't care about prices. They seem to be applying fundamentals in a time when fundamentals, if they were not applied and a market did come down, would really be bad. Okay, so this is actually a really good thing. This shows you the stability and how safe our housing market is. So for all of those people that are like, oh, CMHC, they're gonna, they expect these drops and like our market's gonna come down and it's a terrible place. Why are you investing in such a bubble? Those same people, those same people that are telling you prices will come down are safeguarding our market. The reason that they're, 
they're being overly critical is to put in place these measures to prevent that from happening. So we have a very strong market. And you guys know the last video I did, I'm so glad I got it out. We we're talking about the, the stats of what has happened, right? And this idea of home resale market is down 53.7%, but year over year, it's up 55%. The average price, by the way, is 863,000. This is speaking, I believe in Treb. Yep, this is Treb. So across GTA is up 3% higher than the previous year and 4.6 month over month. So month over month, not so interesting, but we're still up year over year. So it's like 2020, the year of the deal. Guys, we're paying 3% more than we did last year. Yes, there's a there's a short-term deal, but the deal, where's the deal? Where's the deal? Might as Donald Trump deals out here. There are a couple of realtors that had stuff to say about it. One of them talked about how they saw 35 bids in this article. Odine Eccleston, broker of WE Realty, primarily works in suburban areas. She has yet seen a significant dips in pricing, but believes price drops could still happen. And we've got uh, further comments talking about this past month, we definitely saw more lowball offers being submitted. The lowball offers, by the way, they're not sticking. She even said it here. Whereas sellers are refusing to even look at these types of offers. And then it says some are search, reaching the point of realizing that they have to entertain less. I don't see that. Like, I don't see that. Because if you listen to the news right now, you can see that like prices are not, they're pretty sticky. Like they haven't really fluctuated all that much. They fluctuated very quickly early on when multiple offers pulled back. But yet when we're seeing multiple offers coming back, all you got to do is have a realtor that is kind of watching the scene right now of course every area is different but as long as you're paying attention i don't see that like i i think there i think things are pretty strong we've got pretty constant but then of course we've got all this mayhem going on around us right which is going to lead potentially to huge upswings okay wait for me and potential huge downswings okay like let's let's just admit here we could see at this point it could go either way and i'm gonna get a lot of flack for saying that so Let's talk about what are some, because I, I, when I say these things, keep in mind, guys, I'm doing it from a perspective of looking at all the news, okay? I'm not, maybe I have a bias. I, I definitely have a bias, okay? I, I have a bias. But so do you. But here's the thing, like, depending on where you are, we have already seen price drops. So these price appreciations as a rebound, we're already seeing happen. I mean, we saw, to say, you're not going to see price increases. We just did. Like this past month, we just did year over year we have, right? But let's look at, if we just look at the last month, it'll be very interesting to see what happens this month because we're going to be moving from May into June and June, typically prices are lower than May. If your prices in June are higher than May, God help us all. <laughs> all right, let's look at some of the more consequential news, the more in your face news and jump into this idea of Airbnbs, Okay. I think there are three options right now ahead of Airbnbs. There's been some serious news coming out. The first article, which I thought was kind of fun, comes from Toronto. It comes from Better Dwelling, but the angle is different, which is why I liked it. Toronto and Vancouver real estate inventory may get a boost from Airbnb slowdown. Option number one is you sell. I've been talking about this for a while. Okay, that's been one of my like big reasons why the market could could have a, a serious impact and come go for the downwards, right? Come down because we got inventory boosted up crazy. This has been something I've been saying for a week and a half, two weeks probably, but I've been gone for the last week. So I guess in this case, it's been two weeks, right? Now we're starting to see other people talking about it too. Canadian real estate markets may be getting another inventory headwind soon. NBC, the National Bank of Canada, research estimates Airbnb hosts may contribute to oversupply later this year. 
Okay, so coming to a city near you. As the slowdown impacts hosts, many may be incentivized to sell. By their estimates, just a quarter of host selling could cause inventory in cities like Toronto and Vancouver to swell. If inventory swelled, it would not be so swell. We said this over two weeks ago, and now all of a sudden the media is talking about it. This is a risk, right? Like if we have inventory come on the market very quickly, and there's, I mean, we've seen numbers up, up to 6,000 units that could, if they switched over right, right away, add to our space. But what I liked about this article is they talked specifically about Toronto. So they said, in comparison to a place like Vancouver, as the rising of like a, a quarter of it could go by 12%. In Montreal, it could be 27, but in Toronto, it could be a whopping 34%. So we would see a huge influx of inventory in a condo space that is arguably already having difficulty, right? Like we know out of everything going on right now in our market, who's getting the most hardest hit as far as inventory or types of products? It is, it is buildings, it's apartments, it's condos, right? Now add on top of it, how many of those are Airbnbs? I tend to think that most of our Airbnbs, I don't know this for sure, but my guess if I had to speculate is most of our Airbnb supply is condos. So you're just gonna, you're gonna make the issue even more, right? Even though that's not really allowed, we'll talk about that in a second, but that's just 25% of Airbnb hosts, okay? Imagine if it was more. By repurposing housing, to otherwise long-term units. So they talk about here how short-term rentals lead to an inventory squeeze, pushing rents and prices higher, okay? That's the, that's the impact, right? Because you've got things from the long-term market go to the short-term market. So therefore your long-term rentals, your one-year leases, they go up in price, but also you're not selling it or you're, you've got more buyers, which is driving your price up because they're not hitting the market. Instead, they're, they're renting to get income short-term. And of course, travel is expected to get completely slaughtered Right now, the U.S. has approved some routes cutting plane traffic up to 90% till April. When we look at the IATA, the Trade Association of International Airlines, they don't see traffic returning to 2019 levels until at least 2023 at the earliest. At the earliest. So we're going to see, and I mean, you guys can see this, right? Now, the question is, is are we going to get more travel local, right? Are we going to get more local travel and Airbnbs? Some Airbnbs are doing okay, right? So that's option number one. Okay, option number one is we sell. Option number two, what if we rent it, right? Like what if we were to just you say, you know what, screw it. I need to collect some money and the, if I'm not going to get any because nobody's going to travel here. And so instead, why don't I put in the long-term rental? Well, we've been talking about this, but we're seeing this in the news as well. Now Toronto.com has an article, Toronto rent prices dropped 4% in May, according to a rentals.ca report. Earth to listener, rent is coming down. Toronto rent prices for a one-bedroom apartment or condo dropped by 4% in May, according to a report by rentals.ca. I hope this not surprise you guys. We've seen this trend happening, and I think we're going to continue to see it happening, by the way. The average price in the city is now $21.25 per month, down 5.8% over the same period last year. That's almost a 6% drop, guys. According to rental, Toronto rentals.ca, May numbers, Toronto rent went down 5%. So 5%, 5.8%, that's a big drop. Like that's a big drop year over year in a place where we expected flat rent prices this year. And now a lot of that is because of people with the same idea that you might have in this option number two scenario. Why don't I just put in long-term rental? People are trying that and I think they're failing. And I think what could happen is they turn to selling, which is why we've been saying that this could be an upcoming trend. And now their media is talking about it too. 
But it seems as though the larger units are taking the biggest nosedive. A two-bedroom in Toronto leverage or average, well, I said leverage, average 2670 on the listing side, a 7.7% drop. 7.7%. That's almost an 8% drop in prices for a two-bedroom. Now might be a really good time for you to rent a larger unit. If you're trying to move up, might be a good time. I still think that's outrageous prices, though. Almost $2,700. The fall in prices is mostly happening closer to the downtown area. Another interesting point. According to Benjamin Tall, CIBC's deputy chief economist, he told this now, Toronto Now, this article, that there are more than 80% of tenants made their rent, their May rent, stumping expectations that the figure would be closer to 60%. Um, I Last month was 90%. That's my memory. So that actually, in my opinion, is lower than I thought, but... They're saying they're being optimistic about it. So we got about 80% according to this guy. Are there numbers to back it up? Who knows? Do economists need numbers these days? Nah. Okay. So you want, don't want to sell? You don't want to rent it? What about we have an option number three? This brand new option that's just formed. We can put it back on Airbnb because guess what? According to Ontario, it's now allowed again. Now there's this fun article that came out of cbc.ca. Toronto didn't issue any fines despite nearly 180 short-term rental complaints during the provincial ban. That's that's ironic. <laughs> you're not allowed to have, in Ontario, you're not allowed to have Airbnbs. In Toronto, you weren't allowed to have Airbnbs already, right? Like you weren't allowed to have them unless you're in primary residence, which we all know most of them aren't. So you're not already allowed to have it. And then there, so what's happened, people are complaining and they, they highlight this building. What's the address on this thing? I apologize, but if, if it's you, I'm sorry. 300 Front Street. <laughs> so it received 36 complaints from this one building. And of the 32 completed investigations from those complaints, 15 ended with bylaws officers issuing warnings. So they're doing, they're, it's really funny. They actually even asked this guy, uh, Carlton Grant, who oversees the bylaw officers in Toronto. He said, we are seeing compliance and we are seeing that notices are being effective. If someone really willfully is not compliant, it will move forward to charges. So, so he's like the, pretty much the threat of a potential fine is enough to deter people. And that, that's kind of the number. So no single unit was found to be breaking the ban a second time after receiving a warning. But listen to this. Although property managers at about a dozen buildings in Toronto received secondary notices, letting them know about ongoing short-term rental activity during the ban. So like they're still they're still doing it like you, you can't get all excited oh we're not getting any follow up but then all of a sudden you've got like you've got these secondary notices now happening they're just the point is is there hasn't been any bans and people are all pissed off and they're saying now you're giving people the legal authority to come here and party they didn't stop when there was a ban and now you've lifted the ban why do you really think what do you really think is going to happen so like, this is one of the this guy what's this guy's name Winston Ma he's an Asian dude. Is it racist to say Asian people have like the most old English names? I mean, okay. It might be racist. I'm sorry. This is 2020. Don't, don't assume. Never assume. There's a picture of the guy. He's Asian. I, I, it's not an assumption. He looks Asian. He's Asian Canadian. My wife's half Asian. I'm allowed. Also not allowed to say that. Oh man. I am getting myself in some hot water. Here we go. So, but here's the thing. <laughs> I just lost 10 listeners. Toronto's short-term rental bylaws still in place. Now that the provincial ban has been lifted, the city says its own bylaw limiting short-term rentals to a person's primary address remains in place. Guys, you're not allowed having a short-term rental unless it's your primary residence. Like, you're not even allowed. 
And and think about it. Like, all these buildings, they're not primary residence. Like, you think there's somebody who's sleeping in one of the bedrooms, and in the other bedroom, there's this giant party going on? No way. But in the news release last week, the city also noted that COVID-19 has affected its timeline for implementing a licensing and registration system. So they, the reason it's not allowed in Toronto is they're working on setting it up. You're going to have to pay fees. You're going to have to register this unit. Nobody's going to want to do it. I think it was like 4% or something outrageous. You paid a whole bunch of money. You got to pay yearly fees, whatever. The, the, all of this stuff has got put on hold because of COVID. And so while this is on hold, you're not allowed to do it, and yet people continue to. This will only affect new units, not existing ones, and it might even encourage more with rentals being so difficult. So my thinking is if rentals are a challenge, maybe it's going to pull people to say, you know what, why don't I try this Airbnb thing out again? Yes, I'm not getting far out travelers, but maybe there are people local. So in my opinion, if I had a, if I had a unit right now, I think this third option would be better. If I could run my Airbnb as I was before, maybe not with as many people, but not have to sell in a market that's going to come back up, in my opinion. I mean, I guess that depends on your opinion there as well. But I'd rather I'd rather rent it in the short-term market than in the long-term market because the long-term market is very difficult right now. So the province, why did they lift the ban? Many people rely on rentals of these properties to supplement their income. That's their reasoning for it, by the way. They said, people need this money, so we got to let them do it. And Toronto is paying the price for it because they're having to deal with all these issuing all these things. Okay. All right. So talked about kids. We offended an entire people group. We talked about a real estate market over the last week. Let's talk about reopening. Okay. Will the reopening change things? Restaurants. This comes, uh, which article is this actually? I don't even know. Don't even know. There's a lot of them talking about it. I think it was maybe CBC, but who knows? A significant list of businesses, including restaurants, hair salons, and malls, will be allowed to reopen as of Friday in parts of Ontario, except the Toronto area and a few other regions. Uh, You you notice how we got completely left out of this? As the province entered stage two of its restart phase through a regional approach. It's so interesting because I was literally, we had a call with an MPP, provincial, yes, MPP, and she said, oh, well, the, the reason that he's applied, the premier's applied this to everybody is because people will just leave and they'll go to other places and it's not fair. And then we leave it up to the cities to kind of decide, right? Like we're going to just allow everybody, make it fair. But like this, what changed? Like all of a sudden now it's like, now obviously people have been complaining because they wanted to be more specific. Like I know there is a ton of areas in Toronto that are just infested. Like it's, I feel like, ugh. Like just being around certain places. There's so many people. There's no social distancing. And the cases are rising daily. The majority of Ontario public health unit regions will move forward to stage two on June 12th. The province announced on Monday. So this is Friday, guys. This Friday outside what seems like just the GTA. And there might be some other areas. But like where am I looking outside the GTA? What else we got here? We got uh, Hamilton. We got Haldeman, pretty much like the GTHA, it looks like, that region. You guys are all still closed. But if you live outside of it and you still listen to us, good for you. And obviously, it's funny because what we were trying to track here, what at least what they had said they were going to track, was this idea of no cases for two weeks. And of course, we're seeing a rising in cases, so that would assume that that's why, right? This is what Premier Ford said. We're moving forward with an approach that lets us make decisions for specific parts of Ontario based on what's happening on the ground, based on the advice of the Chief Medical Officer of Health, our command table, and our local public health experts. But this morning, literally three hours ago before I'm filming this, I saw an article talking about people questioning who are your health experts. Like if you're going to say, you're going to say, oh, it's the health experts, the health experts. So it'll be interesting to see if he has any health experts or if it's his grandma. And 
That'll all work out. But Ontario is allowing places of worship also to reopen, which I feel like the drive-in church thing didn't get a full a full shot. Like, I feel like we still need to, to try that out. Like, that could be fun, right? But the attendance are limited to 30-person capacity. So if you're in a church with more than 30 people, you're going to – I feel bad for these pastors because you have to have, like, 10 services on a Sunday. Okay. So here's the list. Here's the, the list that they gave. So dine-in restaurants and services – uh, tattoos, barbers, hair salons, beauty salons, shopping malls, including the food services and takeout, tours and guide services, tasting tours for wineries, breweries and distilleries. That sounds like a good time, actually. I might pull that one out. Outdoor splash pads and wading pools and all swimming pools. What am I doing? I can't take my... What? My wife is breastfeeding. I can't take her wine tasting. Time to call up the boys. We're allowed social gatherings up to 10 people now. Camping at Ontario parks, camping at private campgrounds, outdoor only recreational facilities and training for outdoor team sports. You know what? I might have to take up watching some lawn bowling this year because with COVID, it actually adds like an extra layer of suspense to watch all these old people bowling out there. You know what? If I can't play baseball, maybe I'll just go watch some lawn bowling. There's drive-in and drive through venues for theaters, concerts, animal attractions, AKA the zoo, which was awesome, such as art installations. Imagine that, art installations, drive through art. I think I'd rather stick with the lions. Film and television production activities, so all those great movies that are going to come out next year. And on the other side, weddings and funerals with limits of up to 10 people. So there you go. GTHA is pretty much left out of all those things, but our time is coming, guys. Now, with the reopening to bring this all back to real estate, locally here, there is no pressure been taking off in this. Oh, you know what I just realized I missed today? In my entire podcast, I missed the idea of evictions for land, for commercial spaces. I'm going to have to talk about that tomorrow. That was a huge one. I can't believe I missed that. I saw that in the news. Guys, there's so much in here t- this past week. I can't even I couldn't even keep up. So that's another thing by the way. We were t- we pretty much promised you there was going to be commercial evictions based on what was happening last week. Well, that did happen. We'll talk about that tomorrow. I'm going to have to pass this one on, guys. There is so much going on. Even in as far as reopenings, the child care centers, they announced to be reopened. They're going to be making an announcement today for reopening. So we'll probably hear something about that. I know people who work in that segment, they're not excited about that. But I think we're caught up other than the commercial thing. We'll have to cover that. But as it relates to Toronto, things are reopening. We're moving forward. Right? Like I, I had some investments personally. I had some investments in gold. Yesterday I sold them because I'm like, you know what? I am feeling a little bit more confident in our economy. Now, yes, it's based on the backs of spending, but people are optimistic about our market. Like I'm talking like the S&P and the Dow. Like people are very optimistic. Things seem to be coming back. We've almost seen a V recovery as far as the economy goes. So, and real estate prices, we're seeing such optimism. Like there's so much optimism other than CMHC. Everybody else is optimistic and better dwelling. You guys aren't optimistic either. But generally, there's a lot of optimism out there, guys. So I hope you guys are encouraged by the reopenings. Yes, it's being phased in, but this is also a good thing because we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. Anyway, speaking of biting off more than we can chew, I'm going to go breastfeed. This is 2020, so don't presume my biology now. I love how you can have it both ways, right? Like you can criticize people and say, oh, I'm sorry. No offense, but. (laughs) But then when it comes back on you, it's like, oh, you're so offensive. Oh, people are so critical these days. I love all you guys, any ethnicity, any color, wherever you come from, whatever your sexual orientation, you are all loved. You are all welcome. And I miss you guys. I genuinely did. This is why I want to come back. And I apologize. This podcast is actually a bit long, but hopefully you guys feel all caught up. I'll see you guys again tomorrow morning and hopefully get a little bit of sleep tonight. We'll see. And I'll see you all then. Take care and keep it real.